This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Hi, Chicago. I'm Araceli Gomez-Saldana, in for Aaron Allen, and this is The Rundown. In Illinois, there's one thing that kills more people than homicides and car crashes. It's overdoses, specifically opioid overdoses. Here in Cook County, the county medical examiner's office says a record number of people died of opioid overdoses last year. More than 2,000, actually. Public health officials have seen an uptick in opioid and heroin use for the last 13 years, and it's been referred to as an epidemic. In 2013, there was a spike in overdose deaths because of synthetic opioids like fentanyl. Fentanyl is up to 50 times more potent than heroin. It's also cheaper and more accessible. In Cook County, most people who overdosed and died were male, and just over half were black. Plus, the majority of those deaths were here in Chicago. Today, we're going to talk to one group that is trying to turn that trend around. Chicago Recovery Alliance has a racially and ethnically diverse staff composed of people living with HIV and drug use, working in addiction treatment, health care, education, and law. They travel to different parts of the city every day looking to offer any help they can. They happen to be in Lawndale today, where I have a chance to talk with John Werning. He's the executive director of Chicago Recovery Alliance. John, welcome to The Rundown. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, John, who are your clients? You know, like, who are they and how do you find them? Yeah, it it runs the gambit. I think one of the the biggest misnomers, you know, if somebody, you know, says, oh, you're using a needle exchange, probably folks have a stereotypical idea of of the person who's using our services. You know, um, probably somebody with a substance use disorder, probably maybe a person experiencing homelessness. And and it really, it runs the gambit of people who use our services. I mean, we know people who, you know, come from all, all neighborhoods across the city, um, outside of the city, from all economic brackets to, you know, um, all different types of uh, race and ethnicities. Um, so, so it's really all over the place. Um, you know, disproportionately, I think the folks who, you know, see the worst outcomes uh, from either substance use um, uh, are, are, you know, people who are marginalized or disenfranchised already. So uh, communities of color, um, you know, LGBTQ folks, uh, women of color. And we try to do, we really do try to to go where people, our population is using drugs. Um, So we do that by uh, every once in a while, we'll tap into the community and say, hey, are we where we need to be? Right. Do you think that we provide the greatest services? Uh, it's called our community advisory board. Um, so we'll have one of those every once in a while. And then they'll tell us, hey, you know, these you, we could use more of these services or, hey, you're you know, this site 20 years ago was, you know, a lot more popular. But but now it's not popular anymore. You need to really move over a couple blocks, move into a different neighborhood. So we really rely on the community to kind of tell us and inform us where to go. Yeah. I guess, you know, the public health officials have been sounding the alarm that this has been a problem for years. Does it surprise you that last year marked another record number of opioid overdoses? No, no, it doesn't surprise. Um, 
you know, we like like you said, we've been sounding alarms for years and years and years. And, you know, probably not probably not the alarms that maybe it's kind of I don't know, maybe it's counterintuitive, but um, not the alarms that I think people would expect. I mean, we we we, you know, are all of these statistics would be mitigated uh, in some form of fashion by, you know, better investment um, in social services, housing, um, harm reduction programming, um, you know, better uh, individualized care and therapy and less policing, less criminalization. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's the that's the alarms that we've been sounding. And, and until those things are taken seriously and invested in, I mean, I, I fully expect to see that number continue to climb. And it's not, you know, it's not just the systems, it's society, it's apathy. And until we decide, hey, this is actually something that we want to invest in and and we, we don't want 2000 people dying uh, every year in our county, um, regardless of the fact that they use drugs, it's, it's going to continue. Yeah. So you guys work and, you know, you do what you do. When you think of the words opioid crisis, what comes to mind? I I, I think it's a missed narrative. It's not an opioid crisis. It's an opioid overdose crisis. Um, that's that opioids are not the boogeyman. They're not evil. They're not. Um, uh, we need opioids for for a lot of uh, medical purposes, uh, for surgeries, what have you. Um, what what ends up happening is that the when we say the opioid crisis, it changes the narrative to people. And then and then we criminalize those people for engaging with opioids. Um, we should be focusing on people, um, you know, not getting the access to the services they need or the resources they need to prevent overdose. Um, and that that's true, truer now than ever with, you know, the the um, uh, ubiquitousness, I guess, of fentanyl within the, the drug supply. Um, fentanyl can be used safely. Um, we, we have patches, we have, you know, there are prescriptions for fentanyl. It, it can be used absolutely safely. What isn't safe is when people don't know it's present or don't know what its quantity is, um, or potency is within those drugs. Yeah. Um, this one, I'm really, I'm just thinking about someone's perspective that's going to listen that has no idea, you know, that they know someone that may be going through this or that is dealing or maybe they don't know that they're dealing with substance use disorder. Um, how would you describe the way opioid addiction affects people in their everyday lives? Yeah, I think opioid use disorder is real. I mean, like, you know, there there are real uh, harms associated with um, with drug use, or at least there can be. And that and that is, you know, we don't shy away from that reality. I mean, that and that could be, you know, physical harms. Uh, but it also could be societal harms and, and, and you know, um, uh, emotional harms. Um, but what we don't want to do is, you know, um, push those individuals into the sidelines and stick our fingers in our ears and say, hey, this is a, a moral failing that you've that you've done. And um, so we're just not going to engage you because you, you know, you as the drug user have made your bed and now sleep in it. Um, so we, what we're doing is pushing folks to the shadow instead of actually engaging and having a realistic conversation about those harms. Um, and if we did, I think that we would see a lot less OD, um, but also a lot, a lot of the, the, the other associated harms that could be, uh, present in, in, especially in injection drug use, like skin damage, vein, vein damage, uh, infections, 
whatever. So there's a, a really good public health incentive to talk about you know, the harms associated with, with drug use. Um, we just want to have realistic conversations um, and, and also empower people to, to you know, with, with knowledge and resources to make the best decisions to live as healthily uh, as possible for themselves. Yeah. And what does treatment look like? Or what do you think the ideal treatment? And I know every person is different, but when it comes to treatment, how do you, how do you guys approach that? individualized as much as possible. Um, and then, you know, I think for too long, you know, this, you know, we, we are convinced that it's one size fits all treatment for every person and, and it just doesn't work. Um, so we need uh, individualized, holistic, comprehensive uh, uh, treatment, um, uh, you know, if, if the individual and plea and uh, led by that individual. So, you know, we, I, harm reduction is non-coercive. It has to be, it has to be led by the individual. They have to be engaged in that treatment. Um, and we know that if people have options and are able to choose what treatment that they want, much more likely to be successful in that treatment. Um, but we don't, we don't provide that holistic treatment, um, or robust or robust treatment in this country. And, and it's, I, I think the statistic is pretty grim. It's like one out of five people, uh, Americans have access to any treatment, let alone the right kind. And I'd imagine that this role is difficult, maybe some days, or that help, the work that you do. I was wondering if you could talk about how it affects you, and then what keeps you going? In, in Illinois, there's actually a, a really good network of harm reduction agencies that talk to each other, and, and we, we talk uh, a lot about secondary trauma. Um, or, or people, you know, we rely on, on and we, um, we purposely seek out people with lived experience um, to come work because often, again, you know, folks with lived experience know best. Um, and so the, the problem is, is that, you know, people with lived experience and, and, and all of us, you know, we have our own trauma. We have our own, you know, our own histories and baggage. Um, and then to go out and, and see so much um, so much struggle and, and so much high need and so much death. I mean, that, that, that definitely weighs, um, weighs on me. I know it weighs on the staff. Um, and I also think, you know, you, in harm reduction, you get used to small wins. So when, when individuals, you know, you do, you, you celebrate when somebody is actually able to get into that social service program, um, which which is which is good and that needs to be celebrated but you know in in the bird's eye view it can be pretty sad because that's that's the type of wins that we're looking for and and um there's a lot of um there's a lot of emotional labor um and it yeah the, it, it can get taxing for for a lot of people and you know you talk about what's provided like syringes or you know and i think people you know, maybe they don't know about it or they have this thought behind it and say, how could you enable them? Right. I mean, it's usually what people think. What do you respond with? Um, yeah, we get the enabling question a lot. Um, but uh, people are going to use drugs whether or not a syringe exchange exists. Um, so uh, but, and we and we know that the the potential outcomes uh, can be deadly. So um, and not just from using drugs, just from all the social context um, of being a second-class citizen and ignored and 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 um, um, treated awful by all the institutions, um, so uh, we would rather engage human beings in in and talk to them about how to mitigate that um, those negative health outcomes, especially if they want to avoid them. Um, and there's lots of public health 
evidence that shows that these interventions are are very effective at keeping keeping people alive, safe, lowering the 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 chance of transmission of disease. You know, we we just recently had a group of 40 young people who came in and they weren't really told what we do. So they got here and they're like, wow, we, we do not understand this work at all. But at, over the course of the time that they were here, we broke them apart. We had conversations. And by the time, by the time that they left, they were really invested. They said, I understand what you're doing here. I didn't at first. I get it now. I think that's most people. When we actually invest the time in having those conversations with people, they go, I get it. I understand what you're doing. I understand the public health need. Because we are talking about this, and and this is happening. It's not a surprise. We shouldn't necessarily be surprised by the statistics. Uh, What do you wish the general person, the normal, just everyday person listening to this, would understand about the situation, about the crisis? Um, There's a a couple of things. So I, I, I want better drug education across the board for everybody. Um, uh, that's a good starting point. If we had better drug education from a get-go, from the get-go, uh, and and as you know, when we were when we we're, you know, growing up in schools, I think that you know, the empathy that people would have would be a lot more uh, accessible. Um, but you know, this ninety percent or something like something obscene like that uh, of Americans use drugs or alcohol throughout um, their lifetime. So you know, we extend that grace. To, to our friends and family and people that we know. Um, so I don't understand why it's so hard to extend it to, to people um, you know, who you don't know who, who use heroin. I, I just, I don't, I, I see it as, as just wrapped up in the, the, the knot of American racism and, um, and uh, disinvestment in, in folks who, who are highly vulnerable whether because of its, you know, uh, mental health or all these other, um, you know, uh, social issues, um, the system isn't fairly distributed. I mean, like folks who have access to resources and who have nice jobs and are seen as productive, they're given all the institutional grace, right? You know, if you're if you're a Wall Street worker and you use stimulants to to make a lot of money, you know, you're probably going to be fine if if you need to go to treatment, you have access and resources, but um, and you're probably not going to get arrested or policed for using those drugs. Um, But, you know, somebody who's using crack on the street, I mean, they're heavily policed, mandatory minimum sentences historically, um, which devastates communities. Um, it's policy that's devastating communities uh, more than, in my opinion, more than the drugs themselves. John Warning is the executive director of Chicago Recovery Alliance. You can learn more about the organization's work at anypositivechange.org. And that's it for today. Thanks to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Cleve for editing the show. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is part of the NPR Network. If you love the show, please rate and review us. It helps more people find The Rundown. I'm Araceli Gomez-Aldana in for Aaron Allen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>